0: Um, now, after just a few years, Babylon would then be defeated by the Persians, who would then be defeated by the Greeks, who would then be defeated by the Romans, and I think there's another one or two in there as well. So it, during that period of time, it was like there was one world-dominating power after another that would come along. And 2,600 years ago, it was Babylon's turn. But one of the problems that Babylon had in its conquest to take over the world was the country that we all know as Egypt, it was sitting there and it was so hard for a foreign power to control. It seemed like they were in continual rebellion against all these superpowers that would try to make their mark. And so it was important for Babylon to have a strong toehold in Egypt and to control Egypt. And to do that, Babylon needed to control the country that was directly north of Egypt. And that is Judah, or it was Judah 2,600 years ago. And so in 609 BCE, Babylon, under its new king Nebuchadnezzar, began its incursion into Judah and went throughout the country, um, taking over villages and towns, even entered into Jerusalem and took away the king and put a new king on the throne. And for a while, Judah's leaders acted like they were vassals to Uh, Babylon and all things were going well, but then um, the king of Judah made a pact, a secret pact with Egypt. And once the Babylonians found out about the secret pact with Egypt, the gloves came off and Babylon poured into Judah to take over the country. All that had been torn down was re down, and Babylon made it to the gates of the holy city of Jerusalem, and Babylon laid siege to the city. Nothing could come in and nothing could go out, and it lasted that way for quite a while. I would encourage anybody here to read the book of Lamentations to understand what happened inside the walled city of Jerusalem as the Babylonian siege took place. Don't read it if you've had a bad day because it is a terrible book. It is so sad to read the stories of what happened to men and women who couldn't get food from the outside and couldn't take care of waste from the inside. There were claims by the time it was done that cannibalism had even become a part of a way of life. And at the end of the siege, Babylon destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, tore down the temple, and sent off the best, the most educated, the wealthiest, the most renowned citizens of Jerusalem and all of Judah, sent them off to Babylon. It's known as the Babylonian exile. And these folks who had been through this incredible, terrible siege had been, tripped, had been sent off north to Babylon and find themselves in a new place, ghettoized, in a new area, and it was just overwhelming for them. And so the question that was being asked by so many folks who had been sent off, deported, who were now refugees in Babylon... The question was, what do we do now? How do we respond to this? Should we rebel? Well, we've tried that a few times and it's been nothing but misery. Should we just give up and die? What should we do now that we have been forcibly taken out of our home and put in a new place? How do we survive this? Do we just live out our lives in quiet desperation? The passage that was read this morning is Jeremiah's response to that question. The people of Judah, so many of them have been deported to Babylon. The rest are left in the ruins of their home country. But the ones who are in Babylon are wondering, what do we do now? And Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles "...whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons of daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile." and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. I think it's just so fascinating. Jeremiah's response to the people in Babylon was this. Keep on living. Keep on living. Now, there were other prophets... And there are other soothsayers who are saying, do this and do that. And Jeremiah says later on in this chapter, don't listen to them. What you need to do in this moment, in this time, is to keep on living. You know what it's like to be there? When everything seems to be falling apart. When nothing seems to be working. When your life is turned upside down when things are so strange and new and you can't figure out what to do next, the word from Jeremiah is keep on living. Build houses, the prophet says. You know, when you build a house, you do that because you tend to live in it for a while and to build something there. Plant a garden, the prophet says. I live with a person who loves to garden. And here's the way the process works. While it is still cold outside and there's snow on the ground, packages begin to arrive in the mail in brown envelopes. And they are just full of seeds. And those seeds go in paper, in styrofoam cups, pushed down in the dirt. And they go into this inside little greenhouse until they sprout. And then they're moved down to the basement and they're put on this shelf with a grow light above it. And they grow. And they grow like that until the cold is gone and the ground is right. And then the ground is prepared and the seeds are put in the ground. And then that's weeded and taken care of and watered and all that stuff. And then eventually, things start to grow on the plants. Tomatoes and okra and I don't know what all we have. Uh, it changes every year. But the act of planting a garden is an act of living it out. I will not be stopped. And that is what Jeremiah is saying to the people of Judah. Do not stop. Keep growing. Grow the garden and eat from it. Raise your families. And most interestingly, engage the community. Engage the community and pray for the community and work in the community as you survive this moment in time. Now, what all these things have in common, building houses and planting gardens and raising families and engaging the community, what all these things have in common is the simple idea of hope. Here's what's happened to you, Judah. Your entire world has fallen apart, ripped apart. You have seen family members killed. You have watched people die of starvation during the siege. They have taken you and forcibly moved you, turned you into refugees in this country that you don't want to be in. But here's what you can do in the midst of it. You can have hope. Why? Because God is God. And God continues to walk with us through it all. It should be noted that the Babylonian exile lasted, uh, what, 60 years or so until the Persians took over and then the uh, the people of Judah were allowed to return back to their home uh, that was in uh, shambles, but they rebuilt. In our house, there is a saying that we say, and I'm guessing there's at least once a day when either Judy and I will say, it is what it is. Anybody else use that phrase? It is what it is. Now, when I think about that phrase, it sounds a little fatalistic, doesn't it? It sounds like something the writer of Ecclesiastes would have put in the book. It is what it is. But I think it is what it is is a statement of hope. What it says is this is the circumstance. This is what we have now. Now, how do we thrive in the midst of it? What do we do at this point? We can't go back and change what has been, but what do we do now? Build homes, plant gardens, raise children, engage your community, have hope, writes the prophet. As a follower of Jesus, I am a kingdom, or I am a citizen Of the kingdom of God. And I will tell you that there are times when I feel like I'm in exile, like I am a sojourner in a strange land. And the question that we have as followers of Jesus, as sojourners in strange lands, is what do we do now? Now, in the church in Thessalonica, they, some of them decided that what they needed to do now was give up. They believed Jesus would be returning any day, and so they quit their jobs, and they went out to the beach, and they pitched some tents, and they waited for the Lord to return. And they quit engaging, and they quit dealing with life around them, and they just waited. Paul wrote to them, and he said, in one of the most misunderstood things that Paul ever wrote, he said to them, you know what? If you don't work, you don't eat. He was saying to them, get with it, live it, be engaged with life. Jeremiah's words make so much sense to us when we find ourselves feeling like sojourners, when we find ourselves feeling like exiles when we find ourselves feeling like refugees, when things have fallen down around us and we can't figure out what to do next. Jeremiah's words work for us. Live. Thrive. Hope. Celebrate. Engage. Amen. Mike are you my microphone today? All right. Uh, Now comes a time when we share together. If you have something, a celebration or a concern, something that you uh, want the family to know about, this is your time. If you'll raise your hand, Mike will get to you. So, anybody? Okay, I see Karen all the way up front. Dave did a really good job updating you with Jay, but he is home, and he's doing well. It's just the period of recovery now that he'll be going through. A good friend of mine has just been moved from the hospital to hospice, and I would pray, ask for her prayers. For prayers for her, I'll get it right yet. Her name is Lorraine. Lorraine? Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, Karen. Over here. Hey, Gloria. Steve, your sermon hit the nail on the head. That, that's from last week, isn't it? Things that you say, nail on the... Oh, wow. <laughs> anyway. Did I say that last week? My brother-in-law um, is going blind, and it's not your normal old age stuff. It's something rare. And he's been told for a few years there's no, no hope. Well, they found a special super-duper AAA specialist who has given him hope. So that fits your okay. your sermon. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else this morning? Mike, thank you very much. Let's pray together.